Very good. Turn, if you would, tonight to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2 is where we're going to be this evening. I want you to know you're an encouragement to me to be back tonight and uh, just to see a good crowd here this evening. It's a blessing. So I want you to know that. As I looked around while we were singing, I thought, you know, we may not be the the biggest church or the biggest show in town, but uh, we're not trying to be a show, so we don't have to be the biggest one in town. But uh, just for people to be faithful to the house of God, it's a blessing. So I just want you to know I appreciate it, and I'm encouraged by it. So that said, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the truth and song we just heard by Brother Mike. Uh, Lord, to be reminded that your Bible or the Word does stand. Lord, no matter what may happen, it is good to know that we've got something that is absolute and something that is sure. I pray that you'd bless now the effort to preach your Word that you'd use it to be help and an encouragement to us tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two weeks ago, I think you remember that we began this study of the book of Nehemiah. I know that many of you are aware of this and familiar with this, but I want to remind us what we've looked at thus far so that we are all on the same page and we are all aware of what's going on. You may remember that as the chapter or as the book begins, uh, the children of Israel have known and they have experienced the judgment of God in their lives because of their sin, because of their ungodliness. And as that has taken place, we know that Nehemiah was living in Shushan, where the palace was located at, uh, there in the land of uh, the Babylonian Empire. And some friends, or at least some folks who knew of Nehemiah, uh, came and Nehemiah wanted to report on the condition of the city. We know that the report was not good. And so what we found was this, is that the generation of Nehemiah's day were living with the consequences of the lifestyles of those before them many years prior. And so I tried to remind us that people behind us, people who come up after us, they will have to live with the consequences of our decisions and our lifestyles. And so it is imperative, it is of utmost importance that we get it right because we don't want to make a mess for the generations coming after us. And then last week we watched as Nehemiah responded to the news, how he was broken, how he was upset by what he heard, and so he desired restoration for the nation of Israel. He desired for them to be made right with God. And so in doing so, or with this desire, he began to cry out to God. He asked the Lord to hear the prayer of Nehemiah, to open the eyes. He asked for God to remember the covenant that he had established with Israel. He then asked for mercy on behalf of the people of Israel. But in all that, he was honest enough to confess sin and to confess sin specifically. And so I tried to remind us last week that whenever we get out of sorts with God and we need restoration, obviously we need the mercy of God, we need God to hear us, we need all those things, but in order for us to be restored, part of the process requires us acknowledging where we have sinned and for us to be specific about it. For us to act like we don't really know what happened, for us to act like we don't know where things really went wrong, that's not being honest, and until we're willing to be honest about our sin, then restoration cannot take place. So that's where we're at. That's what we've looked at to this point. Tonight we are going to deal with, again, probably some familiar scripture to many of us, and it may take a while for the point to unfold. And I know this, the sermon may get unfolded and you say the point never got with it. 
All right? But I think if this all plays out the way that I hope that it will, I think that this can be an encouragement to us, and I want to be an encouragement to us tonight because it's okay to be encouraged from time to time, right? All right, so I want you to know that it's my intent, that it's my desire to be an encouragement to us. And again, let's pray that that's how it all comes out. So that being said, tonight I want us to think about something, just to try to get the ball rolling, uh, to to illustrate where this is headed. I, I want us to think about this, that all of us in life have things that we enjoy, things that we look forward to, things that create a sense of joy in our lives. Would you agree? We all have things that we enjoy, things that we look forward to, things that uh, make us happy, whatever it may be. I'm just going to touch on a couple of them so that you understand, again, where the message is headed. But I like to eat, all right? I I like to eat. It's probably somewhat evident that I like to eat. And as a result of me liking to eat, I have favorite dishes that I like to eat. Would would any of you say, I, I, I know what you're talking about? All right, so some of you have favorite dishes that you like to eat, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I can get excited about food. Like, hey, we're having that for supper. Okay, so I like to eat, and and, and I can get excited about it. I can enjoy eating immensely. And yet here is something that is obvious and something that is clear, and that is this, is that if Susie were to ask me, so what would you like for supper tonight? If I tell her what I would like, if I tell her what sounds good, if I tell her that I've really been craving this, whatever it is, the truth of it is this, is I have to wait for the meal. It's not because she can't get around and get things cooked. It's not because she's forgotten or anything of that nature. It's just, it's something that takes time. You understand that, right? If she's going to do whatever it is I've asked her to do, if she's going to prepare the food, if she's going to prep it and cook it and do all that would be required to bring about that meal, it is going to take some time. It's just that simple. Suppose for just a moment tonight you decided that tomorrow you wanted to go fishing. You wanted to go fishing. You wanted to get away from everything. You were going to call in, tell your boss you couldn't be at work tomorrow, and you were going to go fishing touched on this before, it's going to take some time, is it not, to be able to actually enjoy what it is you're looking forward to do? You've got to get everything together. You've got to travel to the fishing spot where it is that you want to spend the day, and it's just going to take some time. And so here's what we understand in life, no matter if it be food we're talking about, doing something by way of a hobby, whatever it may be, no matter what we want to do in life, it seems like everything takes time, right? Everything takes time. Nothing, it seems, that is good anyways, is instantaneous. It seems like nothing that is good is instantaneous. So no matter how much of a, of a quick fix world that we live in, no matter how much of a, of a make it happen fast society or culture we're a part of, no matter what, If it's good, if it's enjoyable, if it's something we desire, it is going to take time. So that in mind, I want us to notice in verse number 1 of chapter 2 tonight, I want us to notice that Nehemiah, after hearing everything, after beginning his prayers and, and, and going before God on behalf of the nation of Israel, I want us to notice in the last part of verse number 1 that it says, And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. And so what does that tell us? Well, it tells us something very simple, that Nehemiah 
has resumed his normal daily activity. All right? Whatever his days would have looked like, whatever his, his schedule would have been, Nehemiah is back at work, so to speak, and he is doing what he is required to do, what he has been called upon to do. And so he is now or continuing to be the cupbearer for the king, as he explained in verse number 11 of chapter 1. And it says in verse number 1 as well, Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. So whose presence is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the kings, isn't he? All right, so he's talking about the king. And he said that up to that point, he had not been sad in the presence of the king. It was something that Nehemiah had never allowed to happen. It was something that had never taken place. And for those of us who are familiar with some of the customs and some of the the teachings of the customs and the traditions of their day, here is what we know and what we have heard is that there was a reason why people were not sad in the presence of the king because that was not something that many kings were fond of. They wanted the the environment to be positive. They wanted it to be somewhat upbeat, so to speak. But it's not as though that you could really express yourself or your feelings or your emotions in the presence of the king without there being the risk of some kind of a consequence, repercussion associated with it. All right, and so here's Nehemiah, and no matter what has ever happened in his life, he has been very guarded by way of his appearance and his countenance before the king. But on this day, he was sad, and it was in the presence of the king. Well, how do we know? Because in verse number two, it said, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? seeing thou art not sick. So the king recognizes Nehemiah is not himself today. Nehemiah's countenance, Nehemiah's facial expression, his body language, nothing about Nehemiah is what it normally has been in the past. And so it seems to suggest that the king inquired as to whether or not Nehemiah was feeling well. Maybe he asked Nehemiah directly. Maybe he asked someone else who would have been in the presence of of him. Uh, We don't know exactly how this came about, but the king said unto Nehemiah, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. So the king understands something is bothering Nehemiah. Something is troubling him. So in verse number 2, to kind of solidify what was said just a moment ago, it says, Then I was sore afraid. As a result of being sad in the presence of the king, and now as a result of the king confronting Nehemiah as a result of his countenance not being what it's been in the past and what the king would have desired, as a result of being confronted by the king, Nehemiah said he was afraid and he was very sore afraid because Nehemiah knew this could cost me dearly to have not maintained my countenance and my look in front of the king. So as this happens, so as this unfolds in verse number 3, Nehemiah said unto the king, Let the king live forever. What is Nehemiah trying to do? Well, it seems as though Nehemiah is trying to snap out of it as quick as he can. He's having those moments, or one of those moments, where it's kind of like, oh crud, right? I better get a smile on my face. I better act happy whether I am or not. So he immediately says, let the king live forever, yet he does go ahead and take advantage of the liberty that was provided for him. 
And he said, Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? So here is Nehemiah. He is sad in the presence of the king. The king notices this. The king recognizes it. And the king said, Nehemiah, you're not sick, so why do you look so troubled? Why do you look so upset? This can be nothing other than a sorrow of the heart. That's what it has to be. And Nehemiah said, basically, Sir, I am sorry, but here is why I'm sad. Why should not my countenance be sad? My homeland, the city from which I am from, the city of my people, the place of the fathers or of my father's sepulchres, the graves, they lie waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. So as Nehemiah gives a quick explanation as to why his countenance is what it is, notice in verse number 4, it says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? See, the king understands that he's the king. You know, and so the king understands that he has the ability to do something about what Nehemiah is upset about. So Nehemiah has this chance to explain why his countenance has changed, why he is sad, why he is sorrowful, what has caused this change in his demeanor. And the king said, all right, well, if this is what's causing it, if this is what's going on, then what would you like for me to do? What is it that I could to do to aid you? So in verse number 4, it says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know what that was, don't you? That was one of those quick prayers. Right? The king has just opened up the door. He has just opened up this opportunity for Nehemiah to express himself Probably something that was fairly rare on behalf of the king. And so when the king said, All right, what would thou hast me to do? What would your request be to me? Nehemiah immediately prayed and asked the Lord to help him in this moment and in this situation. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what your thoughts are on this portion of Scripture, if you have any thoughts. But for many years... In reading through this and in hearing some other sermons preached about this, this is what has been said, and I've always just kind of adopted this and just kind of run with it and accepted it. But but here is what I've heard and what I have accepted up until this week. I changed my mind this week, and I'm going to share with you how I changed my mind in just a moment. I sense that you want to know why I changed my mind, right? Amen. All right. So I've always heard... And it's always been presented to to my hearing that when Nehemiah prayed, he was praying and asking the Lord what he should say based upon the request that the king granted him. All right, based upon this offer that the king made him and Nehemiah responding in prayer immediately, I've heard it said that what Nehemiah was praying for was, Lord, what should I say or what should I ask for? Now, here's where I've shifted my thoughts and, and my opinion just a little bit, and, and I'll explain why. I don't believe in this context that Nehemiah was praying, what should I say? I think he was praying, Lord, help me to say exactly what it is I've been wanting to say. 
See, there's a vast difference between the two, is there not? Say, I don't know. Well, let me explain. How many of us have ever been in a situation where you were caught totally off guard and after the fact you said, I wish I had just said this, I wish I had just known to say this, whatever it may have been. We've all been there, right? Okay. But we've all probably also been in a situation like this where we were hoping to be able to say something, but we didn't know if we'd ever get the chance to say something to someone about whatever the situation may be. And so if you've ever had those moments where the Lord just swung open the door and it was obvious that he was giving you a chance to say something, to confront something, whatever it is, I don't know about you, but I've had those moments where it was like, oh man, he just opened the door that I was not expecting for me to be able to say something I've been wanting to say, but I didn't know if I'd ever be able to say it. Does that make sense? Because I don't know how to repeat what I just expressed, all right? I've had those moments where the door flung open, and I am finally going to be able to say something to someone about a particular situation. And I've had those, what I would refer to tonight as a Nehemiah moment, where I am immediately praying and saying, Lord, help me to say exactly what you would have me to say with the opportunity you've just made available to me. So I don't think Nehemiah was caught off guard and thinking to himself, huh, what would I want right now? King, I don't know. I don't believe that was it at all. I believe he knew exactly what he wanted, and the prayer was, Lord, help me to communicate this in a way that the king would accept it. Now, why would I say that? Well, notice in verse number 5, we don't seem to have a great long pause between verse 4 and verse 5. It's not as though Nehemiah said, well, king, I'm going to have to get back with you on that one. I wasn't really expecting you to ask me that, so give me some time. No, in verse number 5, he said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. Nehemiah, you're sad. What's going on? This could be nothing other than sorrow of heart. What's wrong? Well, king, I'm sorry, but how could I not be sad? This is what's going on. This is what's taking place. And king, I'm sorry. It's bothering me. Well, what would you like me to do? Well, you know, it's funny you should ask. I would like for you to allow me to go back to the city of Judah, the city of my fathers. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to build it. Friends, Nehemiah did not come up with that just off the cuff, standing in the presence of the king. Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted to do when the king said, what do you want me to do? In verse number 6, it just kind of reinforces that Nehemiah was prepared for this moment, if ever given the chance. It said, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? How long is this going to take, the king says. Nehemiah didn't say, well, shucks, I don't have any idea. Nehemiah didn't say, well, man, I don't know. I've never built a city before. Nehemiah didn't say, this is really, yeah, I've been a cupbearer for years, and I'm really not an architect. We're going to have to get the plans drawn up. That's not at all what Nehemiah's response was, right? It says in verse number 6, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. You know what Nehemiah said? Nehemiah said, I told him it would be about this long. 
This is when I'd like to leave. This might be about how long it's going to take. And, and this is what we're going to strive for. This is what we're going to hope for. I want us to see this. Nehemiah, as best he could be, he was ready. And when given the opportunity, he said a quick prayer into the Lord of, of heaven, it says. And, and he began to just express clearly what it was he wanted. And then in verse number 7, he said, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. What does that mean? It means this, king, I need some letters giving me the authority to get to where I need to go. Remember, Israel was under the bondage, so to speak, of the Babylonian empire, and so you know, Nehemiah would have needed some permission or authority to get to where it was he was trying to get. And then in verse number 8 it says, I'd also like this, and a letter sent, or a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And so he said, I'd also like access to, well, you know, some of your land and the timber and things that I'll need to rebuild the city. So Nehemiah had no intentions of going out and finding new stuff. He said, King, I want yours. It's kind of neat, isn't it? Hey, King, I know you've got some land, and I know you've got some trees, and I know that you've got all the supplies that we would need. So I'd, I'd ask you for one more letter. Tell Asaph, just basically give me what we need for the project. So it says in verse number 8, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. I know I'm paraphrasing this and putting it in our kind of terminology, but you know what the king basically said to the request of Nehemiah? Okay. Sounds good. We can do that. It's not a problem. I'll have one of my secretaries draft up a letter. You'll be able to get wherever you need to go. It'll have the king's seal on it. That shouldn't be a problem. And, and I'll let Asaph know, hey, whatever you need by way of timber, by way of lumber, for the, for the gates, for the walls, whatever it is you need, hey, hey, no problem. And Nehemiah recognized that that was the result of the good hand of God upon his life. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I love the flow of this. Here's Nehemiah, sad in the presence of the king. King says, what's going on? This isn't normal. This isn't like you. You're not sick. What's happening? I'm sorry, king. Here's why I'm sad. Well, what would you like? Well, here's what I'd like. Okay, you can have it. Wow. Now, keep in mind what prompted all this. It was the sorrow of heart of Nehemiah. Remember this? Okay, sorrow of heart of Nehemiah. Something good is about to happen, is it not? The wall is about to be rebuilt. The gates are about to be rebuilt. Ezra is going to lead in the rebuilding of the temple. I mean, good things are about to happen. But sorrow is what prompted the whole conversation between Nehemiah and the king, which led to all this. Fine. All right, well, notice in verse number 1 of chapter 2. I've mentioned this before, and I'll just mention it again real quick. I am guilty, like so many other people, to just read through Scripture and not really connect things and put the dots together. All right? So verse number 1 is something that I have read over many, many, many times before. Where is Nehemiah? Well, he is in the presence of the king, doing what he is supposed to be doing as a cupbearer. But notice what it says in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, or Nisan, 
in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine. All right, so this day where Nehemiah had this encounter with the king to be able to express his heart and to express his desire, when did it come to pass? Nisan or Nisan or whenever you'd like to consider it, all right? Now, Brother Mike just answered the question from a, an American standpoint. When did it happen? It happened in April. Is that what you're saying, Brother Mike? All right. So on our calendar, it happened in the book of April. Some would say March, but, but it would be that March-April time frame. All right. Go back to chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. When did Nehemiah learn of the condition of the city of Jerusalem? Well, it says in the month Chislu. So, Brother Mike, you've obviously got some Bible helps there. When would that be? December. Again, some would say November to December, but nonetheless, it's in that same time frame. So what do you have? You have Nehemiah receiving the news of the condition of the city. We'll go with, on our calendar, the month December. And when did he have a chance to speak to the king about his desires and what he'd like to accomplish? Roughly on our calendar, April. All right. From December to April... About how many months is that that has passed? Depending on when it was, four months, give or take. All right? Now remember what even prompted all this. It was the sorrow of Nehemiah concerning the condition of Israel. Right? How many months after the fact? Four months after the fact. Now, I know that you and I, we would look at four months and we would say something like this, four months in the grand scheme of things isn't a very long time. And I would say to you, you're right, that's not a real long time. But if a person is grieving and if a person is sorrowful and if a person is carrying a burden, then how long does four months feel like? It feels like forever, doesn't it? It feels like an extremely long time. Listen, the burden was so great four months after hearing the news that he was careless one day. He wasn't as attentive to his countenance as it should be. And he was still so burdened by what he had heard four months prior that it captured the king's attention, something that was unintentional on the part of Nehemiah because whenever he was confronted, it said he was very sore afraid. And so here's what I'd like us to see, that whenever Nehemiah heard the news of the condition of the city, it seemingly began to immediately put a burden in his heart, a desire as to what he would like to accomplish, something he would like to do if given the chance and God waited four long months before he gave Nehemiah a chance to begin doing what God had placed in his heart. You see the point? It took some time. It was not instantaneous. It was not that Nehemiah heard 
Jerusalem is in bad shape. Nehemiah said, okay, I'm going to pray about that tonight. And the next morning he had the opportunity to visit with the king about his desires. For four months, Nehemiah has grieved over this. For four months, Nehemiah has been burdened over this. For four months, he didn't know if he would ever get a chance to speak to the king about this. But when God finally opened the door, Nehemiah took advantage of it. But he was not able to take advantage of it one moment before God allowed it to take place. So why is that important? Why is that anything that you and I should give attention to? Well, I hope it's somewhat obvious, but I want us to think about this. Tonight I want to ask you, how many of us have desires for our lives? I mean, do any of us have desires? I would think all of us do, right? I would think all of us have desires for our lives, and I think all of us would say there are certain things that we would like God to do in our lives. Outside of the secular part of it, outside of the worldly part of it, I'm not saying that's wrong, I'm not saying it's bad, but, but I, I, I want us to think about this. We've got desires, we've got things we'd like to accomplish. We want God to do something. And what seems to be our nature? We want God to do it instantly. God, you've put this on my heart. God, this is what I want. God, this is what I want to see accomplished. God, this, this is what I would like for you to do. And, and, and I know that we know this, so just a quick time out, a quick detour, but I want to say it. Sometimes we have good intentions that are not wrong by any stretch, but it's not God's will for our lives. And just because we want something good doesn't mean that God's going to give it to us. All right? I want, okay, I know I'm opening myself up here a little bit. I'm just going to share something with you that I want, I desire. I want to pastor a church one day of about 125 to 150. That's what I want. Somebody says, well, when are you moving? I don't want to move. I want it to happen here. I want to see that happen. I want to see some souls saved. I want to see some lives changed. I want to, to one day pastor a church of about 125, 150. That's what I want. But here's what I've got to remind myself. Just because that's what I want, and just because there's nothing wrong with a desire like that, it doesn't mean that that is God's will for my life. So I may want it, but it doesn't mean it's ever going to happen. I don't know. But here's what I do know, that if it is going to happen, it hasn't been exactly spontaneous and instantaneous and just overnight. Right? In case you didn't know, it hasn't happened overnight. But sometimes what God or what we do desire is what God has put on our heart, and it is God who has done it and not us with just some kind of a noble desire. But even when it is God who has put the desire in our heart, He is not going to just give it to us immediately. It's going to require time. 
I know some of you have heard this more than you probably care to. I just, I, I can't help but think about it from a personal perspective. Whenever I finally knew that God called me to preach, and I was sure of that, I, I was told I had to go to Bible college. I didn't want to go to Bible college. I wanted to do what I was supposed to do. And you know what God made me do? Four years of Bible college. Well, then I was ready to get into the ministry, and I'm ready to do what I've been called to do. And the Lord said, here's two and a half years of internship before you ever get to preach. And then I, I wanted to preach, and I wanted to, to see so many things happen. And, and, and I'm just saying, I, I look back over the course of my life, and, and, and the principle is so clear that, you know what God has made me do? He's made me wait for certain things. And I don't necessarily like to wait for things. I want it to be, I have a burden, I pray about it one night, and the next day everything's ready to go. But that's not the way it works. And so tonight you're sitting here, you're listening to all this, and I'm, I'm hoping that the wheels are turning. Are they turning? Okay, and if they're not, let's get them turning for just a moment, all right? If you're sitting here tonight, you've been listening, you've been paying attention, you've been trying to put all this together, some of you might be sitting here tonight saying, God, I have a burden for this. God, I want to see this accomplished. God, I want to see this take place. Now again, I don't know if what you're wanting to see accomplished is God's will or not, but tonight I want to remind us of, of this very simple truth that the chances of you and I ever getting what we want instantly, those chances are pretty, pretty slim. So what does that mean? It means this. We have to be patient until God throws open the door. Not you and I trying to force the door open, but you and I waiting on God until he says, all right, this door is open. Now you better walk through it, even if you do so with a sense of fear and nervousness. But until that door is made open clearly, you know what we have to do? We have to wait. We may have to carry the burden. We may have to carry the sorrow. We may have to carry the frustration. We may have to carry whatever emotion we're struggling with. But tonight where I want this to try to be an encouragement to us is this, is that if you and I have God's will and, and desire upon our lives, at some point it will open and it will be available and we won't have to question it. And that's a good thing. It is a wonderful thing when you know God did this, not me. And so tonight, you may be waiting. And you may say, Brother Kyle, I wish it had only been four months. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. I know you know this. I'm just going to throw it out here for us, though. For some, it may be four months. For some, it could be four years. 
And guess what? For others, it could be 40 years. How long did God take getting Moses ready for what he was going to do with him? It was 40 years. Now, I know that it hadn't been a burden for Moses all those years, but God getting Moses ready, it was a long process. And even whenever God revealed his plan to Moses, and and I know we're dealing with a different story, don't get lost in this, but even at that, it, it was nothing instant about it. And so you may be sitting here saying, Lord, it's been four months. Lord, it's been ten months. Lord, it's been two years. God, it's been, it's been five years. Trust me, he knows. He knows how long it's been. And if you're in line with God in your thinking and what he wants for you, then I just want to remind us, he'll open the door It'll be obvious, it'll be clear, and it will be worth the wait. And kind of like Nehemiah, you'll see the hand of God all over it. That this was according to the good hand of my God upon me. And so tonight, if you're waiting, and tonight, if you're waiting, and you're still waiting, and you're waiting some more, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Because at some point, if it's God's will, it is going to happen. And if it's not God's will, I can promise you this, you don't want to force it to happen. Because it won't go the way you had planned. So you say, well, I don't like waiting. I I know most of us don't. However, if we're willing to wait, he'll make it available the results are probably better than we could have ever imagined. And we will be glad that we went on his time frame and not ours. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to take courage and encouragement from this example and this story of Nehemiah. Lord, it's something I've missed. It's something I've never really given the attention to that it deserves. But Lord, I pray that tonight if there's someone here who's been discouraged, if they've been frustrated about where they're at in life and they feel like things aren't moving fast enough, I pray that you'd help us to to just be reminded that no matter what it is, no matter how good it is, you seem to be a God that takes your time. And we need to accept that. So I pray that you'd help us to just be faithful, to just be obedient to what you've called us to do where we're at right now, and not worry about things until you make clear that the door is open. So I pray that you'd help any who may be struggling tonight. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.